edition of the Second and Gold Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host here with you as always. And in today's show, I apologize that it's dropping a day late, but this show, it's the best show of the year, hands down. You can make a case for any time in the fantasy season, really, the offseason, the draft, during the year, the playoffs, week one for being the best time of the season. But really, there's no more fun show to do and not a more fun and informative show to listen to than the Fantasy Football Draft Guide show, the official show where I've been doing fantasy positional previews over the last few weeks. I'll be doing divisional previews over the next few weeks. But this show is meant to be, if you listen to one show the entire offseason, it's this one. If you spend one hour or however long the show is going to end up being, 45 minutes, I have no idea. On fantasy football, this offseason, this is the way to do it. By listening to a fantasy football draft guide show. And I hope you'll find this one very informative, very helpful. And I hope it wins you your leagues. So, no bold takes today. This was scheduled. I'll be back to it next week. Um, what I'll be doing is I'll have four more bold takes recorded, played back at the end of the season. I'll have four more of those um, for the rest of the offseason. Two-part episodes starting next week. Or not two parts, but two Separate episodes a week will be dropping starting next week. So how it'll work is basically I will have two or I'll have two divisional preview episodes dropping each week. And we're going to be going through all eight divisions in four weeks. NF, NFC North and NFC East will drop next week. There'll be two separate episodes. And I've been booking guests for those as well. It should be a lot of fun. So be sure to check it out. And I'll have a bold take in one of those episodes. And then the other one will just be the division. It'll be very clear which one is which, of course. And then... NFC South and West the week after that, AFC North and East the week after that, and AFC South and West the week after that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then the week after that, all of these are coming out on the the Wednesdays. Then after that, I should have the week one preview episode coming out the Wednesday before Thursday night, that Thursday night football game. And then after all that, We'll be getting into two shows a week because it's going to be fantasy football season, which is a lot of fun. But now it's August. This show's dropping on August 4th. I mean, this is really just the start of fantasy football draft season. It's here. For those of you who don't play year-round, I play year-round, or I mean, at least I follow fantasy football year-round heavily and enjoy playing in dynasty leagues, which are year-round as well. But everybody's here in August. We know that. Redraft is starting up. It's better than ever, and it's going to be great. So we're going to have some news on this episode and then get into it. This is the third annual fantasy football draft guide show. And it's been pretty much the same format all throughout the years in 2020, 2021. And now in 2022, it's a classic tried and true format, I suppose, because now it's the third time I'm doing it. So I can say it's tried and true and I'll show you how it's going to be. I mean, I'll run through all the positions and get you guys the info you need in this episode. So, news first, let's get started. Deshaun Watson, Browns quarterback, has been suspended for six games by, I guess, an independent judge who was supposed to hand down a decision. The NFL has till next Wednesday to appeal the decision. Otherwise, it looks like Deshaun Watson will be suspended for six games heading into the year. And the NFL, so basically, I mean, the NFL will have, like I said, like six days from when this podcast drops to potentially appeal unless they extend the deadline with the NFLPA. The NFLPA has said they will not appeal. They were arguing for no suspension for Deshaun Watson. So it makes sense that they're not appealing given that a lot of the consensus seemed to be that it might be eight games for Deshaun Watson or 12 games or a year 
for Deshaun Watson. And a year is what the NFL wanted. So potentially we'll see the NFL appeal, but it might be difficult to do given how unique this situation is. And I don't think it's right. And I don't think it's um, fair necessarily, especially when you compare it to other suspensions around the league of how drastically short it is and how little Deshaun Watson has ended up being punished for what by really all accounts and by accounts of dozens of people you can see has occurred, which we won't get into specifically, of course. But of course, we need to talk about fantasy impact as well. But the point being, like, I think this is something that was it was it was a little bit surprising how short it was but now Deshaun Watson's going to be relevant for fantasy football again this year unless the NFL appeals and gets a longer suspension but the thing was like with precedent and how unique a case this was it was difficult under the NFL's current policy personal conduct policy to hand down anything more severe than this just in a legal perspective like this was something that in the judge's decision she called egregious she called it like historic in terms of how like egregious it was and handed down a punishment that is harsher than any have gotten for this specific kind of thing. It still just wasn't that much compared to what people thought Watson should have deserved, which may mean a policy shift is in the, is in the works for the future. Who knows? But Watson now will be playing for presumably 11 games of the season as the Cleveland Browns a starting quarterback, which makes him draftable in fantasy because we know Deshaun Watson when he's on the field is elite in both the running and passing game. He has a great arm, great dual threat ability, can run, can scramble. He's really one of the best at evading pressure and like running around all in the backfield wildly and somehow making a crazy throw. He's going to be great when he's on the field, probably going to be a top eight quarterback. So he's someone you have to consider. It's a hard task to rank him because it depends. How much are you leaning on later in the season? Are you really set with streaming some quarterbacks early in the year and then getting Deshaun Watson back later? Possibly. If so, it's worth taking a shot on him as a back-end QB1 or QB2 just so that you can have that guy, have that elite potential later in the playoffs. It's very easy to stream quarterbacks for the most part, so I think it's a decent strategy to stream for six weeks, grab Deshaun Watson at a cheap price, and if needed, if you're really falling apart there – then you got Deshaun Watson who can slot in for you. And I don't think he's going to miss much of a beat because, I mean, he's such an elite talent. So you can really expect him to give you probably a good half season of good production. So that's for Deshaun Watson, which this situation is finally probably resolved. It's been a while, like, I mean, like a year and a half or more that this has been going on. That's most of this podcast's history. So I wonder what the first episode was where we talked about this situation. But now it lends interesting things. We're going to see Alvin Kamara's suspension potentially looming. We don't know what's going to happen with that. But the next piece of news, the Dolphins. Oh, boy. The Dolphins have been caught for tampering. The NFL stripped them of their 2023 first-round pick and 2024 third-round pick. Steven Ross, the owner, fined $15 million. And this was because apparently they did some sketchy things in terms of tampering. They had inappropriate communications with Tom Brady. Not sure exactly what that means. Like, I guess, tampering communications with Tom Brady. Same thing with Sean Payton. They've had that over multiple years, apparently. The other allegation against Stephen Ross was that he was going to pay Brian Flores $100,000 for every game he lost. And that was the tanking allegation. And the NFL did find that Stephen Ross actually said those words, but couldn't find evidence that he was being serious with those words. So that's why he didn't get punished for that. So that that's, it's strange because 
I guess, I mean, this really hinges on the NFL pretty much thought Stephen Ross wasn't being serious. He would, they thought he was joking with the tanking and like, he wasn't actually going to carry it out and pay a hundred thousand dollars per loss, which I don't know. I don't know about that. May, I mean, maybe Brian Flores misinterpreted what Stephen Ross thought, but I feel far more likely is that there was something weird going on, especially because Stephen Ross literally also got implicated in separate tampering allegations. So anyway, the dolphins are going to be strong for draft picks now. And um, that's going to be difficult. But yeah, I mean, not much of a situation that's going to impact fantasy for now, but Stephen Ross is in some hot water. Last piece of news, Tim Patrick suffers a torn ACL. Unfortunate news. He's going to be out for the season. This is going to mean for Denver, potentially the rise of KJ Hamler as their wide receiver three. Albert Equabenom and KJ Hamler get slight boosts from this as Tim Patrick was kind of a short yardage underneath target. But prayers up for Patrick. Hope he, hope he gets better. Sutton and Judy, they don't change much in value, but he was going to be a decent piece for this team this year. All right, that wraps up the news. Let's talk fantasy football draft guide, the third annual fantasy football draft guide. Like I said, similar format as the past two years, episode 23, episode 81, and episode now 146 are the episodes of the official draft guides. And I guess starting with some general draft talk. So for this, I'll be previewing this for redraft leagues, regular 12-team, 16-round drafts, one quarterback, two running back, two wide receiver, one tight end, one flex, one defense, one kicker. The settings, they can alter. You can, like, obviously take my advice and apply it to different settings as well. That's generally how I think of a standard redraft league, though. I've been done leagues with ex- an extra receiver, super flex leagues, more flexes, stuff like that as well. But, yeah, I mean, I think ideally I like to play in redraft leagues with something around those kinds of settings. And then I think, like, for a home league, those are probably the best settings. Half point PPR. Keep it simple. Nothing too crazy. Six point per touchdown pass, I think, is probably better. But four point is fine, too. But, like, in general, there's a lot of different settings you can do. But those are around some of the, like, standard redraft settings. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hop into each position, talk about specific questions for each position, talk about players to target and to avoid. That's what we're going to do. Starting off with QB. And a lot of these specific questions are questions that apply from year to year. So I took a lot of the questions that we used last year and I'm going to use them again. But some of them are changed, of course, because we're not just doing the same episode. So when should the first quarterback be off the board? It's always a question. I think the first quarterback, the number one overall QB in my rankings is going to be Josh Allen. And my rankings, by the way, update on those. They will be out very soon. I've just been working on a lot of different things. And so, but I will get out rankings. Of, that is still the plan um, in a soon amount of time. So Josh Allen is the my quarterback one for fantasy football just because of his rushing ability, his goal line work as a rusher and his incredible arm. He's the currently the number 32 overall player on fantasy pros. That's mid third round. That is the earliest really you should start to consider to take a consider taking a quarterback, but I'm not going to draft him there because I look at the guys around that and I see DJ Moore. I see Cam Akers, David Montgomery, Deontay Johnson, Kyle Pitts, Brees Hall, Jalen Waddle, Terry McLaurin, Travis Etienne, guys behind him like that. And then Antonio Gibson. Those are still really, really quality players that are going to help my fantasy team a lot. And with the replaceability of the quarterback position, especially in the late rounds, when these guys can break out, and I have guys I target, like I'll talk about later, so many late round options when you can get the rushing upside later on, the game-breaking rushing upside. I'm not going to spend a pick there on Josh Allen. I would never consider taking Josh Allen until at least round four. 
if it were me personally. That's a personal preference. I think early, like mid-round three is the earliest you should consider it. But round, I wouldn't do that just because of these guys available. Even like mid-round four, those guys like Elijah Mitchell, George Kittle, Josh Jacobs, that's even later in the round four. That's where like I, if Josh Allen slips there, it's still going to be hard for me to take Josh Allen. I think if Josh Allen slips to round five, middle of round five, that's probably where I'm going to start making sure I'm like, okay, this is a little far, but that rarely happens. You're rarely going to see no quarterbacks go in the first four rounds of fantasy leagues. It's just, but like, I'm not going to be that guy that gets Josh Allen and Justin Herbert in the second round. Just don't do that. It's not worth it. It doesn't make sense economics wise to pursue that early of a quarter round of a quarterback strategy kind of thing. So yeah, that's my thoughts on that. What Which late-round quarterbacks are good targets this year? I guess I'll just go into my players to target because that kind of answers the question. Trey Lance at the quarterback 12. He has a ton of rushing upside. Looks great in camp. Has a ton of weapons with Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk. So Trey Lance doesn't necessarily have to be incredibly effective in the passing game. Now, these weapons will help him do so. Jimmy Garoppolo, who's not all that great of a passer, was still effective in the passing game. But Lance makes his hay on the ground. He had a 1,000-yard season at North Dakota State, and he's going to be one of the top rushers in the league, most likely, which will just get you so many more fantasy points because we know rushing quarterbacks score so much more in fantasy, one point per 10 yards rushing versus one point per 25 yards passing. And that's why you should go for Trey Lance, of course, I mean, it's that it, because like, even if that's just a few hundred yard rushing baseline and he has a thousand yard rushing upside, that's just huge to boost your fantasy week because like he gets like 50 or 60 rushing yards in a week. That's already five or six fantasy points. He runs one in. You've already got 11 or 12. He doesn't even have to throw for that many yards. He could throw for a hundred yards and pick up another touchdown and have a very good, very good fantasy week. And that's not even that many yards. That's a hundred yards. And yet he can still be good for you. Like we saw Jalen Hurts be elite consistently for fantasy last year. It happens with these guys. So target Trey Lance in fantasy football drafts um, next year. Trevor Lawrence, a little bit down the board at quarterback 18. Also a guy with a good rushing baseline who we're forgetting about because of how terrible the Jags were last year. But now they've got Christian Kirk. Travis Etienne's coming back. James Robinson, actually likely to be good to go by mid-August, according to Doug Peterson. There's a lot for Trevor Lawrence to work with, and the stain of Urban Meyer is gone. I trust Doug Peterson far more with this offense than Urban Meyer, who was as incompetent of a coach who has ever coached in the National Football League. Trevor Lawrence was a great talent, former number one pick. Are we really writing him off after one season? He's got top 12 upside next year for fantasy football. I'm going to go take that. Another guy with a new coaching change, Daniel Jones, quarterback 23. He is practically free in drafts, going in the back of drafts or not at all. And he also can run the ball a little bit, but he's also got a good arm and a new coach in Brian Dable, not Joe Judge, the quarterback sneak maestro. It's Brian Dable who has talked about using his players to their strengths. And that's the thing he wants to change specifically in New York is using his players to their strengths because Joe Judge and Grayson Garrett drastically misused Kenny Galladay last year. They didn't give him opportunities deep. Daniel Jones's yards per air yards per attempt plummeted in 2021 compared to 2020, or in air yards per completion, especially. And that's going to go back up, I think, with Dayball, who is getting it coming in there, probably bringing a lot of what we saw with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and he has specifically preached that he wants to see that same kind of transformation he wants to do a transformation with Kenny Galladay similar to how he did with Diggs that's going to be starting with Daniel Jones and that's going to mean that Daniel Jones might have a true number one receiver to target downfield for big plays also got Kadarius Tony, Wandell Robinson Saquon Barkley an upgraded offensive line with Evan Neal a lot of things to like here and he's very very cheap in drafts 
And also Deshaun Watson currently at the quarterback 22. He's not on the list, but like if he falls really late in your draft and you think you just got a stack team, of course, fantasy football is a lot luck based. So it might not work out, but if they're not having to spend too much and you have a roster spot available, go grab Deshaun Watson. Now let's talk players to avoid Justin Herbert and the top quarterbacks, not necessarily just Justin Herbert, because he's like, I mean, he's, it's just Justin Herbert because he's the quarterback too. And I don't really see him exceeding Josh Allen as the quarterback one. I mean, he might, but like anybody up in that range, like Justin Herbert was ranked like 42 on fantasy pros overall. Um, that's just a little high for me to take a quarterback, non the non QB one in the middle of the fourth round again. And I just don't want to go after those guys who will be reached on to in a lot of casual leagues. I know quarterback security is nice, but it, um, oh, excuse me. I almost sneezed. It inhibits the ability to get depth at other positions. And again, late round quarterback strategy. That's the way I like to go. So I'm avoiding most of those top QBs in general, especially Justin Herbert, who's ranked at quarterback two. running backs. Let's talk specific questions. What is the best way to approach the RB position in your draft? You know, if you listen to the show, I'm a proponent of the robust RB strategy. If you take RBs early, they have more upside than wide receivers and the position is far less deep. It is hard to scrounge for running backs later. It's hard to get even one competent starting running back later on in the drafts. Whereas wide receivers, they're very replaceable. The top receivers give you an edge, no doubt about it. But you look down the fantasy football rankings and they still keep looking pretty darn good. Like I can find so many late round wide receiver targets that I like, who I think have legit wide receiver two upside. And it's just not the same with running backs when you talk about late round targets. There's so many with receivers. Like you look down into the 40 range for receivers. You even got guys like Christian Kirk. He's the wide receiver one on his team, put up great numbers with the Cardinals, could be great with Trevor Lawrence. Alan Lazard paired with Aaron Rodgers. Traylon Burke stepping into a wide receiver one role. Lots of guys like that. Even Kenny Galladay in the mid 50s. He's like that as well. Christian Watson going even later at wide receiver 71. So much upside. And these guys are way, way down your boards. And there's so many more that I didn't even name. So there's a lot of guys that you can get. And oftentimes you'll see just a couple wide receivers who are good sitting on the waiver wire every week who you can stream for matchup plays. So robust RB, RBs early, wide receivers in the middle or later rounds. That's how you do it. What are the outlooks for this year's rookie RBs is the next question. And it's an interesting one, of course. First guy I'll talk about, Brees Hall. Brees Hall, I think I want to find where he's ranked on Fantasy Pros. It's around the RB20. I think it's a little low, personally. I think Brees Hall's got a lot of upside. Drafted in the second round, likely to take over. We've seen a high success rate with second round RBs and top RBs off the board. And Brees Hall's a very good prospect that I like a lot. With this rising Jets offense, they've got a good old line. And, of course, Zach Wilson ready to take a leap in year two with a new wide receiver in Garrett Wilson. But I think Brees Hall at the RB19, he's got legit top 15, top 12 upside. Very, very worth a pick at that spot. The next guy, I guess, is Ken Walker. One who's more difficult because we've seen Pete Carroll in the past hesitant to use his highly drafted rookie RBs, such as first-round RB Rashad Penny in 2017. And Penny seems to be the starter for the moment. Ken Walker probably going to get be like passing down guy, which doesn't afford him a ton of upside. But then at RB 36, he's a guy who you can hope for will potentially hope will potentially take over late in the season. If Rashad Penny gets injured, for example, but Penny played pretty well when he was on the field. So it's hard to take a shot. I think I'd prefer Penny out of this backfield. Who's at the running back 31. So Walker's not necessarily a guy that I love, but a guy to keep an eye on over there. at RB 36, James Cook at RB 38. Also an interesting guy. I'm fine taking a shot on him there because his upside is the starting RB in the Bills offense. 
But for now, with Devin Singletary there and still relatively effective and James Cook going in late second round, it seems like he'll just be mainly a pass catcher. So not huge upside there either. And I mean, those are the main rookie RBs. You see Isaiah Spiller at RB48. He's really just a handcuff for Austin Eckler who might get a couple goal line touches. Damian Pierce at RB50 for Houston is interesting, but I see Marlon Mack as the lead guy in this offense for now. But keep an eye on Pierce. Tyler Algier, actually, I don't know how to say his name at all. The Falcons guy, uh, RB54. He's getting, getting some hype, but I still see Cordero Patterson as the starter. But maybe we'll. Uh, there's not many guys there in Atlanta. He's going to have an opportunity. So there's a poten- there's potential there. But I would rank it pretty much how I said it. Maybe flip Walker and Cook. They're close, but if that's hard. I don't know if I love James Cook's upside. There's a lot of risk involved there. Who are some good late round RB targets? Again, there's not many that are great. You really have to take some big dart throws, even starting at like the RB40. But like James Cook at the RB38 is fine. Ramondre Stevenson at the RB37 has been getting a lot of hype. Ronald Jones at RB40 might be a better RB than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in terms of rushing. But then Isaiah Pacheco comes in and that makes it difficult because he's been getting some work, which could just be training camp weird stuff. But like, keep an eye on him later on. He's an interesting target. James Robinson at RB43, I actually like a lot. He is legitimately still the lead running back in my eyes, although Travis Etienne may be the better pass catcher, but he's going really far back as well. There's that Achilles, though, of course, is a worry. Raheem Mostert at RB47 could get some good work on the ground. And other than that, I mean, Marlon Mack, like I mentioned, RB53, good guy to take a shot on. Players to target at RB, it's Alvin Kamara is the first one. Not a guy I've been talking about much this offseason, but this legal situation, I've read up on it, and I think Alvin Kamara sitting at RB14 is a great value. Drew Davenport, former attorney who's in the fantasy football industry, has analyzed this situation and believes there's a very, very good chance that Kamara's suspension gets pushed till next season, or that it's not very much at all, given this Deshaun Watson precedent that we just had where he only got six games. It's very worth it to take a shot where he's at right now. 24 overall. That's the end of the second round, early third round, RB14. When we know when he's been on the field, he's been a good RB1. So, like, that feels pretty locked in if he plays. I really like Alvin Kamara. I feel like he is a guy who you can pair with a dude early in the first or and then grab Alvin Kamara, and you've got two elite RBs just kind of getting a nice value on him where he shouldn't be going that late. He should be a first-round guy. But instead, people are worried about the risk. I want I would say capitalize on the risk. Hopefully it pays off, which I think there's a good chance it does. James Conner is a mid-third-round RB who I think is going too low. He was a top-five running back last year, people forget, and he's going to continue to get a lot of work. Maybe Daryl Williams will take a few receptions. But we saw when Chase Edmonds was hurt for this team last year, James Conner got a ton of receptions and a ton of touchdowns. I expect that to continue. He'll be relied upon in this offense, especially with DeAndre Hopkins out for the moment. I said I liked Brees Hall as well. Right now, Brees Hall's going in the early fourth round. Good value there. Cordero Patterson is another. I told you he was the starter for the Falcons. He seems like, I mean, he had really, really good like RB1 production for stretches last year. And I'm not going to really rely, rely on all Algar, or I don't know how to say his name at all. I'm going to have to look that up, guys. Sorry about that. But you know who he is, Tyler. Uh, like, he, he is, and I think he was undrafted. He was either a late-round RB or undrafted. But Patterson right now, going really late at 84 overall, guy to look for. James Robinson as well. Like I said, don't forget about James Robinson, who's been getting some hype as the RB1 in this offense. He's going well outside the top 100 players. He shouldn't be at all. I mean, he's a late round RB you could steal and maybe he becomes an RB2 on his rushing work. Players to avoid. There's not that many, to be honest. 
I think the high up RBs all have their risk. One guy I'm just concerned about in particular, and it's kind of hypocritical because I hyped up Robinson, but that's at his price. Comparatively, I'm worried about Cam Akers, who didn't look too good on the field last year. Of course, he was coming off this similar Achilles injury, but I'm not spending RB17 capital on him when I feel like he's very similar to Robinson. Obviously, he doesn't have the inc- another guy in Travis Etienne challenging him as much, but I think he could end up losing some of the role, a lot of the pass catching role, because he hasn't been as explosive since coming off that Achilles injury, which very few running backs recover from successfully. So let's that's all for uh, your running backs. Let's move on to wide receivers. Specific questions. When should the first wide receiver be selected in your fantasy drafts? This is one you consider every year. When should the first receiver be selected in the fantasy draft? It's a great question. I think the earliest you can consider it this year is taking Cooper Cup middle of the first round. I probably wouldn't do that because I'm a fan of the robust RB strategy. I think there's guys you can get later. And although Cooper Cup had a historic season, the likelihood of him repeating that un- is not that high. He's still the receiver wide receiver one because the likelihood of anybody doing that in specific is not that high. But you could start to take him. I think there's a tier of guys like Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, then probably Dalvin Cook, all ahead of Cooper Cup for next year for me. Then Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, guys to consider if you'd rather take the running back first strategy. But Cooper Cup going between like six and eight is probably a good spot for him next year, in my opinion. Rank the rookie receivers. There's a lot of them this year. I'll rank them for you. My top, Traylon Burks, tight end, or wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans, who I think with his first round draft capital and talent has got a ton of upside to be close to what A.J. Brown did, even in year one, because the Titans drafted him so highly. Chris Olave, the same thing. Good draft capital with a guy in Jameis Winston who likes to air the ball out. Next is Drake London, who's got a terrible QB situation in Atlanta with Marcus Mariota, but he's the wide receiver one in that offense. Christian Watson next. He's got a lot of upside. Is Aaron Rodgers' potential wide receiver one? A lot of risk, though, as well. He's a raw prospect who may not pan out right away, but I like him next year a lot. Garrett Wilson next for the Jets, probably the wide receiver two there behind Elijah Moore. He might have to compete with Corey Davis, though, too, so don't expect crazy stuff from Garrett Wilson yet. Then Sky Moore with the Chiefs. A lot of upside in that Mahomes offense, but he's got Juju and Kelsey to compete with at the moment. And then Jahan Dotson for the Washington Commanders is the last relevant rookie probably, or the second to last. I'll talk about one more guy. But with Carson Wentz, he's been having a good training camp, could step in as the wide receiver too in this offense. Wild card is Jamison Williams, and it's hard to know where to rank him here because Jamison Williams is expected to come back sometime in October, probably going to miss about six games to start the year. Um, and may not be at full strength when he returns and has Jared Goff and has to compete with DJ Chark, TJ Hawkins, and DeAndre Swift for targets. So he's got a lot of upside, but also a lot of risk that he doesn't perform until much later in the year. But I love him as a talent. So I think if you're willing to just take a shot on him in the last round and stash him on your roster, if your league has IR spots, do that and go get Jamison Williams because he's going at a value in leagues that have IR spots. If not, it's a little harder to do that because you need that spot open most of the time to swap out guys on waivers. But I think overall, he's a guy who has just lots of upside for later in the year. He's very fast and athletic and potentially was going to be the top wide receiver in this class. Oh, excuse me, before his injury. Late round wide receiver values, and this transitions us into players to target. Kenny Galladay at wide receiver, like 54, 55. I've talked about it. I talked about it earlier in the show, talking about it constantly. I think Kenny Galladay ascends to potentially be the top wide receiver here with the Giants. I don't think he's lost his talent. Multiple wide receiver 1,000-yard seasons under his belt. He could be a wide receiver, too, next year. He's definitely got that upside. Christian Watson, 
another guy I like in the late round, like I said, just because of his athleticism and his vast potential. Because truly, Christian Watson has top eight upside at the wide receiver position this year. Truly. It's it's there. It's, it might be very small, but it's there. And you don't often find guys like that going outside of the top 70. So I like it just because it's Aaron Rodgers and he's such a great athlete and there's such a void at wide receiver. Most rookie receivers, though, I like his values. I also like Chris Olave out there for sure. Um, Sky Moore later on, even Drake London, who's got a lot of opportunity. Players to target. Already talked about Kenny Galladay, Christian Watson. I like Traylon Burks as well as the wide receiver 44. I think that's crazy late for the wide receiver one in the Titans offense to be going. And I like Traylon Burks as a talent as well. Alan Lazard at wide receiver 42, just for the same reason as Christian Watson, because he can be very effective. I don't know if he has the upside that Watson does, because we've seen that Alan Lazard isn't some sort of crazy talent, but he could be a wide receiver three or wide receiver two slash flex play for you as well. Christian Kirk at wide receiver 41, another receiver who has all the opportunity in the world. Like I talked about earlier, I think Trevor Lawrence has potential to take a year two leap that could go along with Kirk, who has a lot of good production in the past. Other guys higher up in the draft, Portland Sutton at wide receiver 19. I expect him to be the clear number one in Denver's offense as a receiver. I think he's better than Jerry Judy, more physical, a better possession receiver. And Russell Wilson is going to feed Portland Sutton. And we've seen DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett both have big seasons with Russ. He's, Russ is going to transform this offense. He's got a better offensive line now, a better running game. Chance to produce even better than he did in Seattle. And Sutton has top 12 upside for that reason. I wouldn't even mind ranking him up there because he's just a fantastic player with a lot of upside. So watch out for Cortland Sutton next year. And Tyree Kill, my last target at the wide receiver nine, which I've talked about as well in a bold take in prior weeks. I think while Tyreek Hill's deep opportunities may go down a little bit with Tua Tagovailoa, who's actually shown that he's been throwing some darts in training camp, which I mean, of course, a lot of QBs do. But even so, like the fact is, I think Tyreek Hill is going to be more consistently involved in this Mike McDaniel-led offense. And I think Mike McDaniel knows how Tua Tagovailoa used Jalen Waddle last year, which was a short uh, to medium yardage target monster with a lot of explosiveness and Tyree kill can still break those short plays and make them into big plays with his electric speed. But Mike McDaniel with San Francisco from San Francisco with Debo Samuel is experienced in scheming ways to get his star players, the ball. So I don't think we're going to have games where Tyree kill disappeared. Like he did a few times every year with the chiefs. We may lose some of those crazy boom games. But we're going to have a lot of consistent PPR production there as well. I like Tyree kill a lot players to avoid. It's going to be C.D. Lamb for me. I've talked about how at wide receiver six, I think he's way too high. He has had all the opportunity to do it as the wide receiver one on this team. And it just has been good, but not that good. You're banking on a big leap for C.D. Lamb. And I see wide receiver six as his absolute ceiling because the guys ahead of him are Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Cooper Cup. I'd also put Tyreek Hill ahead as well. So it's hard. Like, how is CeeDee Lamb going to exceed the elite production and elite potential of these guys? I just don't see it, especially since he hasn't done it yet. And Dak Prescott hasn't shown he's as elite as a lot of these guys' quarterbacks, in my opinion, like a Josh Allen. Or, I mean, I guess to be fair, Kirk Cousins isn't that elite of a QB either. But again, like CeeDee Lamb, it's not for lack of opportunity. He was the wide receiver one for this team all last year. And the Cowboys even had some injuries at the position and lost Michael Gallup. And yet he wasn't even that crazy all of the time. He was very good. Wide receiver six is just too much over proven guys, even like a Debo Samuel, like all the other guys I mentioned. T Higgins, it's too high to take a wide receiver two in an offense at 
wide receiver 11 because you're drafting him at his ceiling. Joe Burrow was great, but this offense was still middle of the pack in pass attempts last year, and they still want to use Joe Mixon, as they have shown. And Joe Mixon's a great running back. He's going to get usage. And Jamar Chase is the wide receiver one in this offense. That's the consensus. And he has elite wide receiver one level upside overall next year. But T. Higgins, who's a consistent target guy, probably put up pretty much as good of a season as he could put up last year because it's hard for a fantasy quarterback to consistently support two great receivers in fantasy football. Like it's happened with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin when Jameis Winston threw for over 5,000 yards and just aired the ball out like crazy. And then that regressed a ton the next year, even with Tom Brady as the QB. So T. Higgins, you're drafting him at his ceiling as well. And his floor, say they don't throw the ball a ton like they did last year. Or, or uh, as similarly to how they didn't throw the ball a ton last year, like T Higgins could drop off to a mid-tier wide receiver too. And then you've spent wide receiver one capital on him. I would rather get a guy like Michael Pittman or Deontay Johnson or AJ Brown, who is all, who are all behind him and who are all the clear wide receiver ones in their offense with a lot more target potential. Jalen Waddle's the last guy. Similar thing. I don't mind taking a shot on him as much at wide receiver 17. He's dropped a little bit, but I see the confidence in Tyreek Hill. I think he's because he's better than Jalen Waddle. He will exceed that wide receiver one role. He's a faster, like better deep threat version of Jalen Waddle and probably will find himself more open than Waddle and get more targets underneath. Tua will be looking underneath, and I mean, I think far more often than not, it's going to be Tyreek Hill who's open and a big play threat at any time for him. And so Waddle's hard to take just because, again, he doesn't have wide receiver one upside for me or top 10 upside probably. But at wide receiver 17, it's not that bad of a shot. But I'd rather take a guy like Sutton behind him, who, again, has that crazy wide receiver one upside. Now to tight ends. Last position here, specific questions. How should the tight end position be approached in your fantasy draft? It's simple for me. You take a guy early, an elite fantasy guy. A guy like Travis Kelsey, who can give you a positional advantage, help your roster makeup in terms of not having to stream tight ends every week and waste fab on that and waste waiver order on that. And just give you a consistent few point advantage at that position every single week. It's huge. So take one of the elites, the Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews, or punt the position because middle round tight ends and late round tight ends are similar in the fact that they both have very low hit rates. It's highly variable in that range. And so I'd rather take a shot on a guy in the last round. And I'll talk about plenty of guys I like in the later rounds with upside than a middle round player who could bust very easily, just as easily almost as a late round guy. Second question, is any tight end a viable first round fantasy pick next year? And again, like like I said, tight ends early or late. Early or punt the position. Don't try to go in the middle and waste a valuable sixth or seventh round pick that you could be using on your last starting receiver or uh, your top bench receiver because things are variable and you want to have depth in fantasy football. I think Travis Kelsey, going back to the question, is worth a pick at the end of the first round of uh, fantasy drafts in redraft. I think for Travis Kelsey's pedigree of five straight tight end one overall seasons, he's going to exceed Mark Andrews, who has kind of had an outlier season in terms of his target share and touchdowns. I think Travis Kelsey is the better bet to exceed him as the tight end one overall. Mark Andrews is a good second round pick. Travis Kelsey is a good pick at the back of the first, because like I said, that positional advantage just makes it so much easier to manage the rest of your roster and get a consistent, like you're always winning tight end every week. It helps a lot to take a guy like that. And yeah, I, I think he's a, vi- it's too early to bet on. I'm not going to bet on him because of to fall off because of his age until I see it. He's shown no signs of slowing down at all. So yeah, those that that's my take there. Players to target and avoid. Cole Komet, 
tight end 12 or 13 on fantasy pros right now. And he's got an opportunity. He's really just right now, the the, wide, the number two option in Justin Fields' offense behind Darnell Mooney. Fields has got to throw to somebody, and Komet was getting involved a little bit last year. I like his upside a lot in terms of target share, and it doesn't take much in terms of tight ends. If you get targeted a lot, you can be a really, really good fantasy tight end. Albert Equebanam at tight end 17. Like I said, with Tim Patrick on, this actually makes it even a little more enticing because with Russell Wilson in this offense, I think Equebanam could step in as the number three target. That can still be good for tight ends and give him top 12 upside for next year. So with Wilson, with the quarterback upgrade, it helps a lot. And he's a talented player. Robert Tunyon at tight end 18. There's a lot going on in Green Bay, but not very many receivers to throw to for Aaron Rodgers. Like I mentioned time and time again, and Tunyon is one of the few guys still here who Rodgers trusts, has thrown to in the past, and who has put up good fantasy seasons. I don't see his touchdown numbers ever returning to what they were two years ago, but he's got top 12 upside. He could be like the second target in this offense for sure. Gerald Everett at tight end 21, going into this electric Chargers offense, could be get the few targets. It's just with Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams ahead of him. Lots of risk, but he's going very late. Logan Thomas at tight end 23 can be he's shown he can actually be a good threat at all levels of the field for the Washington commanders and Carson Wentz. He's not been, he has been able to support tight ends in fantasy in the past. Zach Ertz, he supported for several seasons and Logan Thomas. If say the wide receivers don't pan out behind Terry McLaurin, you've got Logan Thomas is potentially the number two target other than Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. It's hard to other than Terry McLaurin. It's hard to trust any receivers in the Washington offense. If you're trusting any over Thomas, it's probably Jahan Dotson, but that still makes Thomas the number three target. And I don't trust Curtis Samuel, who still like still isn't healthy and still isn't participating in everything in training camp. Like, I don't know what's what the heck is happening, but Curtis Samuel is like not still not healthy. Apparently, I mean, it might not be the groin thing, but like something's going on over there. I can't trust it. He's barely played. And so Logan Thomas has got an opportunity. He might be the best target out of all these guys. And that tight end 23, he's way back there. Um, in term, best target in terms of value out of all of these guys. Players to avoid, like I said, a couple middle round tight ends. In particular, uh, I avoid the middle round tight ends, but in particular, Dallas Goddard at tight end eight. There's a lot of competition being added. A.J. Brown's there. Devontae Smith's there. Jalen Hurts is still a dual threat QB who likes to run the football. So I think it's going to be hard. And maybe Goddard will have some good games. I think he will for sure because Hurts likes throwing it over there. When you don't attempt to pass as much, and Jalen Hurts, we know, had some of the fewest pass attempts in the league last year. It's hard for consistent week-to-week production, and then you just can't trust Goddard in your lineups at all. Same with Dawson Knox, who's in a pass-happy offense, but has had multiple years to break out and has only done so for short stretches and has just been very inconsistent. I like Gabriel Davis as the wide receiver, too, over there. Knox has got a shot to be the third target, but I don't want to spend up because he's had the shot to be the second or third target for a while now and just hasn't gotten it done. And Josh Allen hasn't thrown shown a willingness to consistently throw the ball to him. So it's he's a risk, going to be a risky play week to week, which is why I don't like that. Tight end 10 is a slightly better price, but even so, a guy I'm avoiding there. Defenses and kickers, I put to discuss their rankings briefly. It's not much. If you want to go back to the tight end episode next week, last week, I kind of described it in more detail. But essentially for defenses and kickers, Please don't take one until the last two rounds of your fantasy draft. They're both defenses because they're highly variable because the scoring um, rewards stats such as turnovers way too much. And therefore, 
for the most part, like highly, de- high, highly touted defenses do not repeat from year to year as the defense one. And if that's like, literally, if you look at leader leaders in defenses over the last few years and the rankings for this year, it just doesn't correlate at all. It's just whichever team got lucky with turnovers gave you some great points. And then kickers, it's just... Again, it is also highly variable with kickers because sometimes it's usually whoever's tied to the best offense, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes a team just goes for most of the season and settles for a lot of field goals for some reason. And that's why guys like Nick Folk and Daniel Carlson became elite and Young Way Koo. But then they all end up falling off and then they don't finish very highly. And you've spent too high of a pick on a kicker that you can get on a, use on a running back or wide receiver in the late rounds instead. So take them in the last two rounds of your drafts. It doesn't matter who. Take a guy who you think has got a good value. Stream a defense that has a good week one matchup so that you can get the most out of them and then drop them if needed because they're very good matchup plays in general. And you can always stream defenses off the, off the waiver wire. Usually a lot of the top defenses come off the waiver wire each year. Same with kickers. So that's it. That is all. The Fantasy Football Draft Guide for 2022, running through everything you need to know in as short of a time as possible. Go back to all the positional preview episodes, all the mock drafts, all the best and worst values, breakouts, sleepers, busts, blah, blah, blah. For more content, there's so much. If you're just hopping on the train in August, so much content to go back to and listen to. But that's your going to be your 2022 Fantasy Football Draft Guide. This was a jam-packed show. Most important show of the year. I hope you guys enjoyed. I enjoyed recording it. Keep an eye out for divisional preview episodes over the next few weeks. I'll have some good guests on those. This was a ton of fun. Good luck in your drafts. Hope this helped. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.